Welcome to Mastering Your Financial Life, hosted by Judy Heft, the founder and CEO of Judith Heft and Associates Financial and Lifestyle Concierge. This year, they're celebrating 26 years in business. In every episode, Judy interviews professionals who help others successfully manage their financial lives. You can find this show on YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Judy is the author of two books, How to Be Smart, Successful, and Organized with Your Money, For a Better Today and Tomorrow, and her latest book, Mastering Your Financial Life Cycles, How to Successfully Manage Money in Every Decade of Life. You can read chapters of her books and catch prior episodes of this show at www.juditheft.com. Now here's the host of Mastering Your Financial Life, Judy Heft. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our 11th episode of Mastering Your Financial Life. And today, I'm really excited to be here with my good friend, Mitchell Fink. Mitchell and I met each other a few years ago, and it was instant connection. We had a lot in common, and we had a lot to chat about, so it was really fun. And I'm really excited. So Mitch calls himself the book doctor. What he does is he helps you bring that dream onto paper. He helps you write it. He helps you edit it. He helps you publish it and bring it to fruition. And I love the uh, expression, the book doctor. So um, he's currently working on his novel, Creatures of the Wind. It sounds really juicy and exciting. So I hope we get to talk about that a little bit. And so help me welcome my friend, Mitch. Mitch, welcome. And thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Judy. It's always a pleasure. So you want to tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself, if I left anything out? I hope I covered some things, but maybe I forgot a few things. There, you, you left a lot out because I've lived a long time. Um, <clears throat> but um, I've been a journalist for many, many years. And um, I started out in journalism as uh, a writer on a music trade publication called Record World. I eventually became the editor of Record World. And, I remember uh, Record World. Yeah, it was a competitor of Cashbox and Billboard. Mm -hmm. And um, But Record World is no more, Cashbox is no more, but Billboard is still standing. At, at any rate, um, I did so well as the editor that the editor-in-chief couldn't stand that I was getting all the credit for the turnaround mm -hmm. in this magazine, and uh, he fired me. I never saw it coming. And there began um, the reinvention of my career because I had I was doing a job that I loved. You know, I had been I had to leave school in the middle of my junior year in college because my father passed away. Oh. And 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 my mother and my father's brother thought I should go into his business. And so I did. I hated it. It was the textile business. I hated it. I continued going to school at night. And I just, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I left there and uh, wound up getting this job at Record World, <clears throat> which I loved. I just, I was the first one at the magazine in the morning and I was the last one to leave every night. And um, so suddenly I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had all these jobs or job offers from record companies you know, uh, one of the great record men who died way too early, a man named Neil Bogart. Uh, Buddha Records and then Casablanca Records called me up. He said, I want to give you a job. 
I, I said, what's the job? He said, well, KISS, the group, is going to be in Milwaukee on Wednesday. I want you to go to Milwaukee on Monday and fan the flames. I said, Neil, you could pay me a million dollars, and I wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> it's just not for me. What happened was that I got a job at Warner Brothers Music, the music publishing company of the Warner Group. And um, it was fun. It was great. And I, um, it got me closer to the music. And a friend of mine had taken me down to Max's Kansas City in uh, very early in 1973. Took me down to, Can to Max's Kansas City. On I think Lower I must Park. have seen you there that night. <laughs> okay. Um, um, and he said, I want you to see an act that you're not going to believe. And uh, I said, okay, who is this? He, and he said to me, his name is Bruce Springsteen. I said, okay. Um, and he had two albums out that nobody ever cared about, and they didn't sell. And um, so we're in a cab going down to Max's, and people are lined around the block. I said, his albums did nothing. Who are these people? He said, they're all from New Jersey. And uh, so I went in, and we went upstairs where the, where the like, 100-seat Bands, you know, it was a small little place. And Springsteen came out on stage with the E Street Band, small bandstand, and he was wearing a St. Louis Cardinals baseball cap. And I thought, here is this guy. He's from New Jersey. He's in New York. He's wearing a Cardinals baseball cap. I thought that was so cool. And he blew me away completely. So I'm I'm at a publishing company. I, I let me find out about this guy's publishing because I think he's a superstar. I called his manager. His manager at the time was a guy named Mike Appel. I said, "Would you come up to me at Warner Brothers? I would. I'd like to talk to you about maybe making a deal." He came up. He said, "You have a reel-to-reel -reel, uh, machine." Reel-to-reel -reel tape. So you'd find, yeah, I mean, you know how long ago that was. Mm -hmm. no, nobody in their right mind has a reel-to-reel. -reel. Um, so I said, yeah. He said, you have earphones? I said, yeah. He said, okay, put this on, put your earphones on, and we'll talk afterwards. And I said, okay. Put the earphones on. I press play, and I hear Born to Run. Wow, wow. And... I'm telling you, I, I, it was, it was unbelievable. My reaction. So the song ended, and I, and he said that's the title of his next album. And uh, I said, okay, I want to make a deal. And he said, okay, kind of very smug. He kind of folded his arms. He said, <clears throat> I want a hundred thousand dollars for a co-publishing deal. I said, you know. My boss is in L.A., which is where he worked. And uh, I said, I have to get his approval, so I will get back to you. And hopefully today, because I really want to do this. I called him up, a man named Ed Silvers. And I said, Ed, we have an opportunity that I think is unbelievable for $100,000. Bruce Springsteen, co-publishing deal. And he said to me on the phone, and I never forgot his words. 
He said, Bruce Springsteen is never going to translate west of the Hudson River. And I said to him, Ed, with all due respect, if your decision is that you don't want to do it, this will be the single biggest mistake of your career. He said, that's my decision. Of course, you know, Bruce Springsteen went on to not only translate west of the Hudson, but all the way around to the east of the Hudson, you know. And all around the world. Around the world. And he's still going at it strong. And um, so that kind of, that was a sour thing that we we had. And eventually they got, he got rid of me. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, what am I going to do now? You know, music publishing was okay. My heart is in journalism. I thought my first marriage was breaking up. I thought, well, I'm going to go to Los Angeles. Maybe I can reinvent myself in Los Angeles. I don't know doing what, but I went to Los Angeles. A friend of mine let me stay at his house. I mean, when I say house, like a cottage. Um, and uh, and with nothing to do in the morning, I would go to the corner store and buy the two newspapers in L.A., the Los Angeles Times and the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. And so, I, you know, I'd make my breakfast. I'd read, co- you know, I had my coffee, and I would read the two newspapers. This is now January 1978. And... I've tried a million things before I left New York. None of them worked. And um, so there I am with these two newspapers, and I noticed something really extraordinary, and that is in 1978, the music scene is blowing up. Where they used to be on the Sunset Strip, billboards of movies, it's now all music all of its music. And so I noticed that Los Angeles Times does a lot of coverage of music and the Herald Examiner does practically nothing. So I had a friend in Los Angeles and I said, uh, do me a favor. Um, I know you know one of the editors of the Herald Examiner, a guy named Don Forst, who was the number two man at the Herald. And I said, call him and ask him to take my call. And he took my call. And one thing led to another. A woman named Marianne Dolan uh, was, was brought in as the editor of Style, which was like the features part of the newspaper. And uh, she gave me a job. And uh, the job was to write one music column a week for $100. And I took it and I said, can you let me do something else. Would you let me have a typewriter? This before computers. Would you let me have a typewriter and a telephone? And she said, yeah. So I had the column once a week, which was out on a Monday. I had to have it in by Friday, but I was there every day. I was there every day. I I I started meeting everybody at the newspaper. I became a fixture at the newspaper. They needed someone. Hey, are you free to, you know, talk to this guy and and do an interview with him. Can you go review this show? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I said yes to everything. I'd get another $25 for this, another $35 for this. And um, eventually I was put on staff. And then in 1987, 
the gossip column this left and they made an open competition and i and the editor who i learned from who's really my rabbi period in journalism a man named jim bellows who was the greatest newspaper editor i ever came across um he was no longer at the Herald. He, I mean, he, he helped invent Entertainment Tonight after he left the Herald. And at, at any rate, I, uh, um, I called him up. I said, I have the opportunity to become the gossip columnist. And he said, drop whatever else you're doing. Get this job. It will change your life. And so three people had the column for two weeks each. And during my two weeks, the racetrack Hollywood Park was opening for its spring meeting. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go out to the racetrack because all the celebrities come and I'm going to get a chance to talk to them. And what's so interesting about this particular opening in 19, in April 1987 is that a fixture at every, every year at Hollywood Park was always Cary Grant. and. Um, this year, he would not be there because Cary Grant passed away in December of 86. I said, OK, I'm going to get all the celebrities talking to me about Cary Grant, and it'll be a great column. So I go there, and one of those celebrities is Audrey Meadows. Audrey Meadows, who the world knows from The Honeymooners, uh, Alice Cramden from The Honeymooners. Um, she did a lot of other things, but everyone knows her from that. And... Uh, she said, you want a Cary Grant story? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and she said to me, okay, it's one morning. She's living in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, like she does every morning, she's dressed in like a house robe. Her hair is in curlers. She's got fluffy slippers. And she wants to take her little dog out to do its business, pick up the paper at the edge of the driveway, bring it back in. She does this, brings it back in, unhooks the leash, puts the paper down on a table, and there's a knock on the door. How could there be a knock on the door? She was outside just now. She saw no one knock on the door. She opens the door, and there standing before her in a suit and tie and not a hair out of place is Cary Grant. And he says to her, I was just in the neighborhood. I thought I'd come over for coffee. <laughs> what a great story. And she said, and she said, I'm standing there in my house robe, my fluffy slippers, my hair is in curlers, and I wanted to die. I can and imagine. Right in that moment, I knew there's not a woman alive who would not relate to that. And I wrote about it, and the person making the decision of who was going to be the gossip columnist was a woman. I got the job. My life was changed tremendously. I started a career in television. Then uh, the Herald folded, and um, they were bleeding money. Hearst publication. I had been there for 10 and a half years. Best place I ever worked to this day. Uh, and I wound up getting a column of People magazine, continuing on television. And I just kept going with this dual thing of, and then I got a job at the Daily News, and, and then it came crashing down again in, in the aftermath of 9-11. I was very, very good at what I did. But suddenly, I'm out. 
because there's no more advertising. The Daily News is today a shell of itself, former self. And so I started doing books. I got an offer to do a 9-11 book. I did it with my wife. It became a New York Times bestseller. I did another book and then another book. And then I realized I'm not going to get rich, let alone manage my financial life um, doing books. I need to do more than that. I started doing PR. I started doing all these different things. You know, PR, I never really loved. My wife kept saying to me, you're so good at it. I said, yeah, but it's my heart is in something else. And then I started writing more on my own and I started helping people and I became a book doctor uh, right before the pandemic. And, you know, and I'm working with people to this minute um, doing that. And and then something else comes along. Out of the clear blue sky, I had no idea. I'm going to stop you right there, Mitch, because we're going to take a little break. I want to and then I want to hear all about that next project. That's the celebrity um, point of view, POV, right? Is that what you're going to talk about now? So let's take a little break. I love how you reinvented yourself so many times. I think it's really interesting. I thought I was pretty cool because I reinvented myself once. (laughs) But, you know, you got to do what you got to do and things change. So, yeah, this is fascinating talking to you, Mitch. So we're going to take a little break right now, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about celebrity POV. Thanks. Hey there. I just want to tell you a little bit about my new book that just came out called Mastering Your Financial Life Cycles. And here it is. It's how to successfully manage your money in every decade of life. I co-authored this with my CFO, Liz Levy. And together we created this manual that's going to help you through every stage of life. We talk about having a baby. We talk about young adulthood, pre-retirement, what to do when you're At that age of retirement, if you're contemplating divorce, do you need an estate plan? We cover all of these, each subject in a different chapter. And I really think that you're going to find this so helpful because at the end of every chapter, we have checklists that you can look at and you can use and they can be a guide for you. So this is a wonderful manual that we've created. It's available on Amazon. You can also find it on our website at judithf.com slash book. And we're here for you. If you need anything, reach out. I hope you enjoy the book. Here's another picture of it, just so you know what's going on. Here it is. And I'm really proud of it. It's my second book. And I'd love to have you uh, read it and give me your feedback. Judy Heft, judithheft.com, financial and lifestyle concierge, celebrating 26 years in business. And over the years, I've learned so much. And what I've been trying to do is impart a little bit of this knowledge to you so I can help all of you become as financially organized as I am. So we're back with Mitch. So yeah, Mitch, so I'm really, I love, you know, I love talking to you over the years and hearing all these wonderful stories. And I think it's really pretty cool the way you reinvented yourself. You had a lot of ups and downs, you know, you got canned a few times and then you just picked yourself up, pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, as we say, and just looked for the next wonderful opportunity and made it work. And so now you have another project that's happening while you're still writing and doing your other things called Celebrity POV. And I'd love to hear you tell us a little bit about that. I never saw it coming. You know, there I was, you know, I I had started calling myself the book doctor and, uh, and it was working and it was absolutely working. And I was very happy doing this. 
you know, uh, uh, writing on my own, helping others write and editing for them and so on. And unbeknownst to me, a woman who's a f former Wall Street Journal reporter uh, made a call to the former head of communications of the Madison Square Garden, the Dolan's cable vision, all of that. Um, and she called him up and she said, you know, I, I've started this new company out of Austin, Texas called Truth Dow, D-A-O, which is really kind of surrounded by the crypto world. And, um, and she told him about it. And she said, I'm looking to, uh, to do a show called Celebrity POV, Point of View, and uh, as a talk show, a one-hour talk show, live. And uh, I'm looking for a host. And he said to her, this is all unbeknownst to me, he said to her, there's only one person who can do this. And he tells her, gives her my name, and she said, would you introduce me to him, you know, virtually like we all do? And completely, he doesn't call me first. He doesn't say anything to me at all. I just get an email from him, Mitchell, meet Leslie Cawley. And uh, I think that Mitchell is the perfect person for this. And I look at it and what it is, a celebrity talk show. You know, I've been... I kind of understand that world, you know, I've been doing that in some manner of speaking for years and uh, just never that formalized into one show with just me and someone else. So Leslie and I started talking and pretty soon she realized that there was no point in her talking to anyone else. I mean, I started throwing out ideas and all that and, uh, and we made a deal. And uh, what we're trying to do and we're going to launch, I would say, mid-September at the latest. And um, I'm looking for guests who are pretty much household names from the world of uh, business, from the world of entertainment, sports, politics, and uh, to have a you know kind of like a serious discussion about you know some of the more complex issues of the day so it's a real talk show it's not you know i'm not going to be jimmy fallon you know come on and show me you know the trailer for your new movie and do funny things it's it's really going to be a, a serious and probing look at various issues that the particular famous person knows something about, is passionate about, wants to talk about. You know, so I'm looking, you know, I'm not looking for that vapid conversation, which so many people have on television. And um, that's not what I'm after. I'm, we position ourselves as um, I'm standing at the intersection of fame and the news. and. Um, I want to do something that's smart, that's credible, and that, um, you know, that will shed, shed light on things. And uh, at the same time, because it is Web3 journalism, 
it's the world's first news organization doing something like that. And we're going to, we, we will live on an app called Fireside. And Fireside is, um, is the, the app was launched last fall by Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And, you know, I'm sure people have watched him on Shark Tank for years. And, um, and a woman named Fallon Fatimi, who was at one time the youngest employee ever hired by Google. They put this together, and we're their only news group on their app. And I know that a celebrity talk show is going to be the tip of the spear for them. It's going to be so, great. And we're also going to stream live on various platforms, including YouTube, Discord, Telegram, you know, those two, those last two, I never even heard of before I started talking to these people. And um, because I am managing my financial life, I will be paid in U.S. dollars because the crypto world is so, yeah, you know, the fluctuations. Smart. Yeah, but I, I, it, that's not my concern right now. My concern is that in that space, we are the first news organization in the world. That's exciting. And so to be on the ground floor like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's not quite like Al Pacino in Godfather Three. You know, they pulled me back in. Um, in Godfather Three, he really went in kicking and screaming. Uh, I did not go kicking and screaming into this. I thought this is this is a wonderful opportunity. I never saw it coming. If you asked me what my vision was, you know, six months ago. I would have said that I could continue what I'm doing and I could stay healthy, you know, and um, and then all of a sudden this comes along and it's just a fantastic opportunity and I'm embracing it. It's so exciting. So how often will the show be broadcast? Is it going it's to be gonna weekly or monthly? It's going to start out as every other week and the eventual thing is to go weekly. Great. And do you have any uh, guests booked yet or anybody? I, I, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, okay. but I, but I, you know, by in the next, you know, 48 hours, I will have something done. That's so exciting. I'm really happy for you, Mitch. It sounds really thrilling. And you get to talk to so many interesting people like I do on my podcast. I'm really enjoying just talking to interesting everyday people. So I can only imagine what it would be like to talk with these famous people. And maybe you'll get Mark Cuban on as a guest. At a certain point, someone said to me, why don't you do him first? And yeah, I didn't want to, we didn't want to just. He's a pretty cool, interesting guy. At yeah. some point, at some point I will, but you know, yeah. we want to, we want to be able to do this on our own without uh, any help. Excellent. sounds really great. Yeah. And I'm only disappointed now because I didn't get to see Bruce at the, uh, at Max's Kansas city. I frequented that place in the early seventies. I was living in the city at the time as a single woman and went there a lot, but I never saw him there. You're about to tell me too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, we'll end it right there. So <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. So Mitch, how can people find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Facebook. Uh, they can find me on Twitter also. What's your email? I don't know that I want to give out my email okay. because I get way too many emails now. True. And uh, But if someone wants to contact me, they can absolutely do it through Facebook or LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, are you Mitchell Fink? Yeah. And on Twitter, I'm uh, at... Uh, MF, MF News 17. 
And do you have a website? I don't. Okay. I'm it's, I'm going to be part of the Truth Dow website. If you okay. go to if you go to Truth capital D A O, um, you'll find me. This is great. It's always so interesting to talk to you, Mitch. You have so many tidbits. I love the story about Audrey Meadows. That we didn't great. even, and we didn't even talk about Swifty Lazar. I know, I know. I thought we were going to talk about the party at Spago. <laughs> well, I mean, I I used to go there regularly, and I'll just tell you two quick stories. You know, I mean, he patrolled Spago like crazy, and there I am, a journalist, and I'm there to talk to everybody, and so I'm having one night this really intelligent conversation with Warren Beatty and you know Swifty was a little bit of a thing you know people don't know who Irving Swifty Lazar was he he was the agent for many many superstars it was actually Humphrey Bogart that gave him the nickname of Swifty which he hated but uh, and so I'm talking to Warren Beatty and suddenly this little man comes in between us looks me in the face and says that's enough Mitchell and, you know, he wanted me to walk away. And, you know, Beatty was having, you know, one of his many, many intelligent conversations because he's a very intelligent man. You know, another the, the, the great uh, writer, Dominic Dunn, had this luncheon appointment with Swifty. Swifty was supposed to come to one of those l- restaurants on on Sunset that no longer exists. And, and Swifty doesn't show up. And so Dominic is there and he's like, what the hell's going on? And it turned out that when Swifty was leaving, he was pulling out of his driveway and he ran over his cook. And oh my gosh. She, she didn't die. Oh God. He, he didn't die, but he was so shook up that he, he never showed up for lunch. And the, and the last thing, at some party that Swifty gave for one of his clients, I went and I brought my wife, Lois, and I said, Irving, uh, I don't think you've ever met my wife, Lois. This is Irving and this is Lois. And he says hello to her and he looks at me. He says, all these years, I thought you were gay. And, <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, how do you know I'm not? There you go. Yeah. Good answer. And uh, so, you know. Do you I have mean, a sense of humor? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. I have a no. good Swifty story, too. So I was probably, you know, as nobody else knows, you know, I've told you this. Swifty and my mother were first cousins. And we were, out, I was out in California with my husband at the time, and we were in the L.A. area, and I wanted to see him. And we always tried to see him whenever we could, you know, our famous relative. Anyway, so we go, and I told him, you know, we're in town. And he says, yeah, come on over. And Mary, his wife, is in the background telling him, no, we don't have time. We have to go to this party or something. We're leaving. And he said, his sister, I just want to catch a glimpse of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I get there, and he gives me this gift. He gave me a beautiful Tiffany apple. On a chain, you know, a cutout uh, Elsa Peretti apple. So I, I, it's my claim to fame. But yeah, it was it was always fun. He'd come up to visit my grandparents in Connecticut and leave the limo running, you know, and he'd just <laughs> run in for a minute. He was so busy, 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 busy. Yeah. So this was great. So it was really fun to talk to you, Mitch. I always enjoy our conversation. You too, Judy. You too. Thank you so much. And maybe one of these days I'm going to get famous enough to be on your celebrity POV. All right. <laughs> All right. You'll have an open invitation. Okay. All right. Good talking to you. You've been listening to Mastering Your Financial Life, hosted by Judy Heft. 
Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing this show with others. You can read chapters of Judy's books and catch prior episodes of Mastering Your Financial Life at www.judithheft.com. 